Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Well, good morning again. It is my pleasure to introduce to you this morning. I'll bring up in just a minute. <laughs> uh, Jim Halstead. Amen. Thanks, Don. Thank and uh, thanks, Don and Laura. I've had a wonderful weekend. And uh, with uh, the dinners, so much of the staff, uh, you know, as I travel, I'm, I'm blessed. I get to meet s- some really good people. And you have a blessed staff, blessed pastor. And, and uh, looking forward to the following up. As, as he said, I, I've retired after 35 years of ministry three years ago with three denominations, three churches. I retired as a special education teacher two years ago. Since then, I travel 40 weekends a year. I usually do five and six conferences a year. Uh, Since then, in those two years, I filmed a video series. I wrote two books with that. I've also written two other books. No one told me retirement was going to be so busy. uh, But I've had a great time because I feel like my wife and I, we had a call to ministry back, gosh, in college when we met. And we feel like we're finally doing what God has prepared us to do all of our life. And what I'm going to be talking about today is the Great Commission. But before I get started on the Great Commission, I want to ask you, have you ever been, probably those a little bit older, have you ever been with someone when they have passed? You've heard their last words. When you get some years on you, you, you've done that. Several years ago, four years ago, my dad died. I got called. He was in the hospital. They found an aggressive cancer I went to see him on a Wednesday. I left Saturday, and we said our goodbyes. I thought I was getting things ready to move into a rehab. I actually got home Sunday. I preached. I was at the school Monday teaching, and I heard, uh, your dad didn't make the rehab. He's he's not going to live 24 hours. You need to get back. I drove through a snowstorm. I was able to hold his hand when he passed on Tuesday, but he never woke up. But I remembered his last words from Saturday. His last words to me were, I love you, son. Special last words. When I left seminary back in 87, I went to a Sunrise Evangelical Free Church in Atlantic Beach, Florida. It's the beach of Jacksonville. The senior pastor was gone, and and an, an older saint in the church, Kathy, was dying. She was in the hospital. Her family was coming to see her, but they didn't know if she was going to get there in time. And so they asked the new assistant pastor to go be with her. I didn't really know what to do, and she's, she's conscious, but in and out, and I just read Scripture, and I was praying, and holding her hand, sitting bedside, and then all of a sudden, she woke up, and she sat out, and, so, and she looked. Now, we were in Jacksonville. If you're familiar with the Jacksonville Jaguars, they're on the St. John's River. That river wraps around where Baptist Hospital is. All three of my kids were born there. She looks up, she points out the window, and you're seeing the St. John's River, and she says this, I see Jesus coming to get me in a boat. I'm a new pastor, what did I do? I went and looked out the windows, what I did. So I go and I look out the window, what I did not know. She then fell down and died. Well, I'm looking in the window. The nurses come in because they have all the sirens going off. And they go, Pastor, pa- Pastor, what are you, Pastor, what are you doing? And I turn to look to him. I'm looking for a boat. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see Kathy in heaven to see what she saw. I think she saw Jesus coming in a boat. Do you remember Jesus' last words? 
After he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. He was with the disciples for 40 days. His last words before his ascension, do you remember that? Interesting statistic Barna just, just did was this. The church in America doesn't remember it. Matter of fact, it said this. A majority of United States churchgoers, 51% say they have never heard of the Great Commission. Jesus' last words before his ascension. Not only 51% have never heard of it. Another 6% said they were sure. Another 25% said, you know, I've heard of it, but I have no idea where it is in the Bible. Only 17% of Christians in America knew that the Great Commission was referred to in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And the word of the Lord says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to teach on the Great Commission today. Join me as I pray a blessing on the preaching of this word. Join me, Father in heaven, I thank you for this body of Christ at Grace Point. Thank you for Pastor Don and Pastor Paul, and I ask you would bless this message to raise up workers for your harvest field. And Father, I ask, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, amen. You know, when you look at the Great Commission, there is only one command, and there's three ways to fulfill the command. And often when they, people think of the one command, they think it's go. That's not the command. The goal, the command is this, to make disciples of all nations. It's to make disciples. What is a disciple? Simply put, a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. It's someone who's repented of their sins, trusted in Christ's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins and their salvation, and they live for His glory. That's a disciple. And the Great Commission, the term Great Commission hasn't been around the whole church. It's really been around for 150 years with the missionary movement. You've probably heard of Hudson Taylor 150 years ago, kind of coined the term. William Carey used it. But if you go back to 300 A.D., St. Augustine referred to this command that we're all called to make disciples. But when Jesus said, when he looked at the 11 disciples and said, make disciples of all nations, did he really think that you could win the world out of those 11? Is it even possible that those 11 could reach the world for Christ? I want to ask you, what do you think would be more feasible or quicker to win the world of Christ? If me as an evangelist would go and every day I would win a thousand people to faith in Jesus. Every day I would go and I would share and win a thousand people to faith in Jesus. Or if I would go and I would lead uh, John to Christ and in six months I would disciple him to equip him to do the same. Then after that six months, John and I would both go win someone to faith in Jesus we would disciple them, so after that first year, there'd be four. And then the next six months, the four would reach one, so after another six months, there'd be eight. What do you think would be quicker? If I literally did it by myself, it would take me 17,534 years to reach the world. But through multiplication, you could win the world in 17 years. You know, when Jesus looked at the disciples and said, make disciples of all nations, it's theoretically possible that we can the world today, we can win everyone. But if you take one person out of that equation, it drops dramatically. See, it's, it's possible 
to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus. And that's what God commanded us to do. And, but how do you do it? Well, he explains it in the Great Commission. First, you need to, to go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And the going isn't a one-time thing. Let's say you go to Des Moines for a mission trip, or you go in the city, or you go to a soup kitchen, and you do it once. The Greek term literally means as you are going throughout your day, that you would bloom where God has planted you. You would pray for the lost by name in your neighborhood, your co-workers, your extended family, the person at Casey's gas station, and you pick up a pizza that you begin to pray for people on an ongoing basis for their salvation and bloom where you're planted. See, evangelism training is not so much to equip you to go to Des Moines and preach once. Evangelism training is to equip you to share the gospel in word and deed where God has placed you with the people he's placed in your life. And you're not alone when you do that. It says in a correlating chapter in Acts, which looks at the ascension of the Great Commission, it says what? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the Holy Spirit will guide and direct and stir us to do that. But how's the church doing today? The church isn't praying. Matter of fact, Lifeway did a Christian study on Christians' prayer habits. This is what they found. They found more Christians prayed to win the lottery than they prayed for their neighbor's salvation. They found this. A a supporter of Go and Tell Ministries was visiting another church, a solid denomination like yours. The pastor literally said from the pulpit, Christians need to be ready to share the gospel if an answer someone asks us about our faith, but it is rude and wrong to bring up the gospel. And he said it again, but it is rude and wrong to bring up the gospel. And your pastor's like, not only that, Christian Post did a study just this past summer. Over a third of senior pastors in America believe good people can earn their way to heaven, can earn their way to salvation. We know that's false. We know that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is in Christ or Christ alone. But in the church today, they not only not know the Great Commission, we're not praying for the salvation of others. We don't realize that salvation is only in Christ and Christ alone. We need to see ourselves to go to bloom where we're planted. So the way John saw himself, John the Baptist, says here in John 1, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. See, we're all called to be a witness to this light. I want you in this verse, put your name in it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name is Don. His name was Laura. His name was Paul. His name was Jim. If there's someone in your life that needed the gospel, would they come to you Would they ask you to testify to the light? Would they think of you? I live in Arlington Park in Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne has 300,000 people in the community. It's the second largest city in Indiana. We live in a housing addition. It has 1,000 homes in our addition. Been there since 1999. And I I met MJ when we first moved in. MJ worked for the city. He was actually uh, an India from India. He's Hindu in his religious belief. Worked for the city, but he always wanted to open up his own garage. As a matter of fact, he had a three-car garage. And he started having people come in after his work, oil changes and fix the cars. And he had a garage in his garage. 
Well, he told me his, his vision, and I was, trying, I was praying for his salvation and trying to share Jesus with him. And he said, I, I want my own garage. And I knew a guy who was trying to sell his garage. I got him combined, and MJ bought the garage. Soon after that, he quit his job for the city, and he, he opened his new garage. I would go to the garage, and I was getting people to go there. And his wife started working as a secretary and bookkeeper and his daughter. And I would go to the garage, and I would talk to MJ about Jesus. And his wife would hear me. His daughter would hear me. One day, it was Easter, several years after that, I invited MJ to come to church all the time. He only came once. He came on Easter. And he came up right after the service. And he came up, and he had a distinct, he still has a distinct accent, but he said this, Oh, Jim, Jim, you are a good preacher, Jim. You're a good preacher. I watched you, Jim. I watched you. You never once turned around to look at the screen, but you were word perfect, Jim. Oh, my Jim, you are a good preacher. My wife starts laughing in the front row. She goes, aren't you going to tell him? I go, shh, I don't want to burst his bubble. She goes, I don't think you want to burst your bubble. What I didn't tell him, I was reading off a screen in the back. But MJ never know, oh, Jim, you are a good speaker. Several years after that, I, I get a message from another friend that MJ's wife died. I went to the viewing, but I wasn't invited to the Hindu funeral the next day. And I went to the viewing. Something happened that uh, shook me to the core. MJ saw me come in, and he basically he left everyone, and he came to greet me. He hugged me, and he said this to me. Oh, Jim, 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 thank you for coming. Jim, I don't know why, I don't know why, but my wife, two days before she died, she sat in the hospital bed, and she looked at me, and she said this, bring me the man Jim Halstead. I looked at her, I said, the man who got my garage? Why do you want that man? MJ, I plead with you, bring me the man Jim Halstead. She was dying. See, in Hindu culture, I wasn't supposed to share Jesus to her. I was supposed to go through the husband. And that's exactly what I did in that garage. And when she was dying, I think God brought to mind the only person she ever heard share Jesus was me to her husband. And her dying wish was to hear the gospel. But MJ never called me. Come. Or maybe the better question, are you equipped to share them about Jesus? Could you in five minutes explain the gospel to someone else and tell them how to come to know Jesus. Christian Post just did a study. The study said this, two-thirds of American Christians don't know any method for telling other people about Jesus Christ. In the church today, two-thirds of people have no method to tell others about Jesus Christ. That's why Go and Tell exists, to equip the church to do that. You see, as I've prayed for people over the years, I've seen a lot of people come to faith, and I've prayed for people for a long time. I used to teach special education. Paul, we were talking about this the other day. I taught in 2007, 2011. I taught it was a day treatment classroom. It was children with emotional disabilities, last step before an institution. Okay, it was a hard group. I had Jermaine as one of my students. I taught him for four years. During those four years, I prayed for his salvation every day. I prayed for his mom's salvation every day. I was able, able to get with them and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Due to school regulations and getting after school, it just never happened. Huh. Matter of fact, when he got to be a senior, uh, his mom found me, called me, and wanted to thank me for the impact I had in his life. 
prayed for him for four years every day for his salvation. Last summer, I came home from a trip, go tell. I don't know where I was coming back. I came home. My wife greeted me and gave me a kiss and said, honey, dinner's going to be ready in a few minutes. I went in the living room, and I turned on the news. And when I turned on the news, my wife literally heard me gasp out loud, oh, my. So you came in. What happened? I'm pointing to the TV screen, and I go, that's Jeremy. I'm not using his real name due to IEP reasons. Paul knows that. She goes, Jeremy, isn't that the boy you was your student over a decade ago? You prayed for? Yeah. See, he was on the TV news in Fort Wayne. We have some national bike trails and trails, and on certain busy roads, it's pedestrian right away. There was a car that was stopped. He came up. He didn't stop. He, matter of fact, ran that right away, hit a lady, and he killed her. And he got arrested for reckless homicide. His picture's on the screen, arrested for reckless homicide, 24 years old. I had him as a 12-year-old student. I haven't seen him for a dozen years. We turned off the TV. My wife and I held hands, and we prayed for the woman who passed and their family. And then we began to pray for Jeremy's salvation and for everything that was, he was about to face. And when we got done praying, my wife looked at me and smiled and says, you're, you're already thinking of going to go see him in the jail, aren't you? Yeah. In Fort Wayne, I don't know what happens here. They've just opened it up a year ago that chaplains could visit the jails once again after COVID. Now it's just lawyers and chaplains. Family members can't get into our jail to see family members. So I did. I, I set up an appointment, and you, you've seen the jail. You've got a class partition. You have a telephone right there. I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I haven't seen him for 12 years. He's not going to know me. <laughs> He came in and he looked and he stopped and he kind of turned his head. Later, he told me, I thought you were going to be my public defender because I haven't seen him yet. Then he looked and he said this, Mr. H, is that you? You see, my name's Jim Halstead. And when I taught school, I was known as Mr. H. I go, hey, Jeremy, it's me. Haven't seen you for a while. I've got a little bit more gray hairs last time I saw you. And, and if you took the training yesterday, you know what I did. I started asking about his family. We were just trying to catch up. I didn't realize he was estranged from his mom. I didn't know he was living in his car, that when he hit this person, his girlfriend in the car was living with him in the car, and she was pregnant. He, I didn't know that he had a job. Matter of fact, he's very proud. He not only had a job, he had a car, he had insurance on the car, and he was getting another job. And he goes, but Mr. H, you know, things are expensive, but we've been living with different people. I'm living in our car right now. I'm not sure what my you know, girlfriend, the mother of my baby, is going to do. But I've tried to get things together. I've tried, and I was commanding him, Wait, Jeremy, I'm proud of you with your job. Then, then I asked him, Jeremy, I, I don't understand. We've never talked much about this, but what was your church background? Do you ever attend church much? And he goes, no. And I said, Jeremy, may I ask you a spiritual question? He said, okay. I said, if you were to stand before God right now, and he would ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Oh, Mr. H, I've tried to do good. I've got to, I'm getting my second job. I'm trying to do good. And I said, Jeremy, I'm proud of you. You graduated high school. You're on your own. You're trying to make it. But God's standard of goodness is far greater than ours, Jeremy. Could I ask you some questions according to God's moral law to see how you stand before a holy God? And he said, okay. And you took the training yesterday. And you know what I asked him? I said, Jeremy, one of the commands is thou shalt not lie. Have you ever lied? Yeah, Mr. H, why do you call someone who lies? A liar. Another command is thou shalt not steal. 
of the Ten Commandments, have you ever stolen anything at all? Yes, Mr. H. Why do you call someone who steals a thief? Jeremy, another command is, thou shalt not murder. And Jesus says, murder is having anger in your heart. Have you ever done that? And he began to cry, Mr. H, I didn't mean to kill her. Mr. H, you've got to believe me. I didn't mean to kill her. I go, no, I know, Jeremy, but Jeremy, you've just admitted to me. You're a lying, thieving, murderous person at heart. We hadn't even looked at the other commandments. If you stood before God right now, would you be innocent or guilty? And he's crying, I'd be guilty. Would you go to heaven or hell? I'd go to hell. Does that concern you? And he's crying, yes. I go, do you know what God's done for you? So you don't have to go to hell and you can have a relationship with him right now. He said, no. I go, Jeremy, I've been praying for you for this. When I was your teacher, I prayed every day for four years for this. I want to tell you how you can know Jesus now. Half hour later, we stood up, we fist pumped in the glass partition, and Jeremy repented of his sins and trusted Jesus as a Savior. But he had six months to go in the county jail before the sentencing and the trial, and I didn't let him go alone. I visited him on a regular basis. I taught him how to read the Bible. We read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. I taught him how to pray. I explained the gospel to him. I was there at his sentencing in December. Matter of fact, I was able to speak on his behalf. The judge called me up. He was sentenced to three to six years in prison. Two days later, I went to see him in the jail because I wanted to see him before he got moved to the prison. And our last Bible study in the jail was looking at Genesis 49 about Joseph. It said this, while Joseph was in prison, the Lord his God was with him. And he looked at me and he said this, Mr. H, I've lost my 20s. When I get out of my 30s, I'll serve God when I'm out. And may God be with me while I'm in prison. I've emailed Jeremy. And when I look back, when I left teaching in 2011, I didn't grasp 11 years later, God answered that prayer for me to share the gospel with him. Are you equipped to share the gospel? Are you blooming where God has planted you, praying for the salvation of others by name, ready, willing, and able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not only is it enough to go where God has placed you, but next it says what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's meaning not only sharing the gospel, but as they get baptized, profess faith, it's grounding them in their faith. Let me ask you another question. Jesus' last words. I guess since he's Jesus, he can have another one, right? Jesus' last words according to the gospel of John on the cross. Do you remember Jesus' last words? Pastors can't say it because I know they know. It was in John 19, 30. I heard it over here. When Jesus received the drink, Jesus said, what? It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. Accounting term. The debt has been paid. Jesus' last words were what? Your debt has been paid. He was dying on the cross for our sins so we may be forgiving and have that relationship with Him. Your debt has been paid. It's just not the Christian life doesn't start when you repent and receive Christ as you do that, but then you grow in Christ. Paul wrote it this way. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See, once you profess faith in Jesus, it's not the end of your Christian life. It's just the beginning. <clears throat> it's growing in Christ. It's learning to read the Scripture devotionally to be in love with Jesus. It's learning to pray with others, to pray in your walk, to pray with your spouse. It's learning to share the gospel with others. Most people look at you and they think, oh, you're a pastor. You must have grew up in the church. I did not grow up in the church. I hardly ever went as a child. Matter of fact, I was this big in sixth grade, and I grew up in Indiana. Guess what sport I like to play? That's right, I played basketball. 
I got to be a sophomore in high school. I'm on the team, and, and I started to wanting to go to any meetings I could go where the seniors went on the basketball team so they would pass me the ball. And I started going to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting. Coach Mustin was my coach, and after the end of the year, he goes, Hey, Jim, it's 19, summer of 1976. Do you want to go to the FCA camp at Central Michigan University? You see, Indiana University had just won the national championship in 1976. Kent Benson was going to be there. Kent Benson's a Christian. He was going to speak. My coach knew Kent Benson was my hero. He goes, Jim, you want to go to FCA camp in Central Michigan University? Kent Benson's going to be speaking. Do you want to go? Coach, I'd love to go, but I don't have the money to go to that. Okay, uh, Jim, if we pay your way, will you go? Man, coach, I would love to go, but my parents won't take me there. Okay, Jim, if I find the money to pay your way and I take you there, will you go to camp? Man, coach, I would love to go. Throw in a lunch, you got me, coach. <laughs> and coach shook me. And I heard my hero say this. He had just won the national championship. He was Mr. Basketball in Indiana. He was a legend. He goes, I'd give up my national championship trophy. I would give up my Mr. Basketball trophy. Everything pales in comparing of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He went on to say this, what I am is God's gift to me. What I make of myself is my gift to God. And I went up to him after that, and I said, you have everything that I want, and you say Jesus is more. And then I said a profound statement to him. They need to write a book about this. He says, Jim, that's the Bible. I didn't know. I actually had a Bible in my hand. Remember the good news for modern man version? Stick figures? I had Kent Benson autograph it. I have it in my office. I probably thought at that moment, Kent Benson wrote the Bible. I did not know much. But what I did know is I need to see if what he said was true. And I read through that New Testament three times that year. I started going to church. And a year later, I went back to camp. I said, you're right. I'm a sinner. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't do drugs. I didn't kiss girls. I wanted to kiss girls. They wouldn't kiss me. I didn't. But I knew I was a lying, thieving, adulterous person, hard, guilty, going to hell. And I heard the purpose of life is not basketball, but Jesus Christ. And on August 7th, 1977, I repented and trusted in Jesus. And I was all in. I had my senior year in high school. Then I went to Indiana University. I didn't play sports there, but I led the Fellowship of Christian Athletes my second semester, freshman year on. And I was blessed. My pastor at a large church, Dave Ferris, helped me get rooted and built up in Jesus. He taught me how to pray. He taught me how to read the Bible. Not only that, he taught me that in college, it was at his church, I got a call to ministry, which determined where I was going. He discipled me and my wife. I was on staff at his church for a year and a half before I went off to seminary. He rooted and built up in me my faith in Jesus Christ. Matter, matter of fact, I was with Dave. He lives in Hartsville, South Carolina. I had to go until a weekend in Myrtle Beach, February. And if you do the Great Commission study, you're going to see a shout out to people who've changed my life. And at the bottom it says, Dave Ferris, the pastor who discipled me. And I know people are thinking, why do you guys have a pizza? What's that all about? Well, when I saw Dave, I spent the night with him. We had two days together. It was National Pizza Day. And I said, Dave, I learned the love of pizza at Indiana University, so let's get a pizza together. I'm humble to say this, but Dave Ferris has prayed for me every day since I left staff at his church in 1985. He prays for me every day. 
He said, there's only two people I've prayed for every day, Jim, and you are one of them. He helped disciple me in such a way that I was in love with Jesus. He changed my life. He discipled me in such a way that I learned how to disciple other peoples. I just knew it was a natural way of fact that when I led someone to faith, I would meet with them. I'd teach them to read the Bible. I'd teach them to pray by praying with them, and I'd help them to share the gospel. That's where my new book comes in, Disciples Making Disciples. It's literally a tool to do that. See, to make disciples, it's not blooming where you're planted. It's just not building people in their faith, being baptized. <coughs> it's teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's helping them to grow that it's not enough just to attend church. Excuse me. Billy Graham said 80 to 90% of Christians have never shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone else. I think it's probably 90 to 95% of Christians have never come alongside and discipled another person. By what? Helping them grow in love with Jesus so then they can help others grow in love with Jesus. That's what my new book is out for. Matter of fact, that's what Acts talks about. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And to prayer. Dave came alongside and taught me to do that. So then I could teach others to do the same. Matter of fact, I was at Indianapolis at a Christian Mission Alliance church in, in January. <coughs> and I, I called Kent Benson on the left. We speak together for FCA often. And I, I said, hey, Kent, I'm in town. You, can you come up? He wasn't able to come. But Bob and Jana, they're my supporters, and they came. When I was at Pastor Dave's church in 1984 to 1985, I led Bob to faith in Jesus Christ. He repented and trusted Jesus as a Savior with me. I met with him for a year. I discipled him. He ended up later meeting Jana. They're solid believers in Jesus and doing the same. Bob and Jana came to church that day. And afterwards, church, he said he wanted to take me out to eat. And I'm one of those pastors where I always go out to eat with people, especially if they're treating so we're talking, and, and after I told stories, Gina said, I want to tell you a story. I, she grew up in a church, and things have all gone well. She goes, I was praying to God, God, I want a testimony. And then God nudged me and says this, if you're going to have a testimony, I'm going to give you a test. She found out she had breast cancer right before COVID. They lost their business. They lost their insurance. She had to have surgery. God healed her of the breast cancer, provided financially for all of her surgeries, and they've restored their business. And I was praising God with her story. Bob looked at me and goes, well, Jim, I got a story. Well, Bob, what's your story? He goes, no, Jim, you've told everyone how it was through Kent Benson you accepted Christ and how that changed your life. And then because of that, you led me to faith and discipled me. And I've thanked you a lot. Well, thanks, Bob. But all of a sudden I realized when I was coming to see you this week, I never thanked Kent Benson. You'll pardon me? He goes, yeah, all of a sudden it occurred to me, if Kent Benson, a national championship player, player of the year, number one draft pick, spent, shared the gospel with you, a nobody, well, thanks, Bob. Yeah, well, you know what I mean, a nobody. And then you accepted Christ's disciple me. I felt I owed Kent a phone call. So what would you do? <laughs> I found his number and I called him. <laughs> you did what? Yeah, I called him. And I told him all of that. And I said, Kent, you're, you're my grandpa in the faith. I want to thank you. So how did he respond? He cried. 
Kent and I are good friends. So later that week, I called Kent. I said, hey, Kent, I heard Bob called you. I go, what was it like to have his phone call? Did you remember how it says how the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents? I was rejoicing. And then Kent said this to me. He goes, Jim, I I want you to know, as you've told my story to other people, Bob is not the only person to call me to thank me because you've led him to faith. I've had other phone calls. I said, well, Kent, can I call you Grandpa now? No, you can't, Jim. (laughs) No, you can't. See, and that's what Paul means by this verse. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable man who will also be qualified to what? To teach others. See, when we looked, how do you, when Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, it's not by adding me just leading people to faith. It's every one of us leading someone to faith and meeting them to disciple them, to read the word, to pray, to make disciples so then they can do the same. See, God's called all of us to fulfill the Great Commission. And He's called us to do it not on our own. He says this, the end of the Great Commission says, Why, well, in the teaching you to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. See, the Holy Spirit moves in us, directs our relationships, guides our conversations. If we only just pray, God, Help me bloom where you've planted me as we pray for the salvations of people God's placed in our life, seeking to share the gospel, build them in their faith, and equip them, equip them to make disciples who can make disciples. Well, two years ago in May, I retired from teaching, and three years ago, as I started my last year of teaching, I taught in a school, public school, school of 700 kids, and it was kindergarten to second grade. We had 300 Burmese students. We had seven Burmese translators, two Spanish translators, free breakfast, free lunch, a needy inner-city school. I taught children with emotional disabilities, learning disabilities, children with autism. The week before we started school, is August 10th, 2021, I got Mike my first day of school. The week before school started, Mike, which isn't his name, was living in Michigan with his dad and his stepmom. They abused him. When the CPS workers followed it up, they were selling drugs. They arrested him. His parents are in prison now. They took Mike, and they moved him to Fort Wayne, Indiana, New Haven, to his mom, who lived in an oldest trailer park, and probably the oldest trailer a mile from the school. He hadn't seen his mom for three years. I get him a week later. Now, just imagine you're a first-grade student with an emotional disability and all that's happened. At the end of the week, I called his mom. I said, hey, Mary, this is Mr. H. Again, it's my teaching name. And I said, so it's so great to have, have Mike with me, and I'm doing the best to help him in this transition. I know it's hard for him, and I know it's hard for you. I know you're on disability. You just got him a week ago. But I have two questions to ask you right now. What is it, Mr. H.? You know, when, when Mike comes, he gets free breakfast, he gets free lunch, and I pull him in the afternoon, and he's always hungry in the afternoon. And basically, when I'm teaching him, I'm just sharing my lunch with him. My question is this. I know you're on disability. Are you needing help with food? Yes, Mr. H. And, and I've noticed this, Mary. Again, I, I know you're doing best you can, and I love having Mike as my student. But all weeks, he's worn the same pants, the same underwear, the same socks, and the same shirt. 
my question is this, are you needing help with clothes? Well, well, Mr. H, I didn't think the school helped. I go, the school doesn't help too much. Stay on the line. I'm going to have you talk to someone. But, but Mary, I go by Mr. H during the day, but on weekends I go by Pastor Jim. And Pastor Jim helps. So how about this? Tomorrow's a Saturday. Can I come to your house with a couple bags of groceries, a couple bags of clothes, and I'll start doing that every other weekend for the school year? Oh, Mr. H, thank you. So I went to my principal, public school, and I said, oh, by the way, I just want you to know what I'm doing on my time. And she thanked me. Got to be September, I went, and I was taking a gallon of milk with other groceries and clothes late September, and I got to the old trailer. The refrigerator had broke. Well, my wife's one of those ladies that can find things. We found a refrigerator that day, a small one, but we got it, a used one, and I've stalled it and she had a refrigerator got to be october i'm bringing clothes again and food and and i'm trying to share jesus with her and she showed me a ring it was her mom's ring it said jesus and conversation didn't get too far and it was over her head but she did say this to me mr h i think it'd really help mike if he goes to church could he go to your church well my church was 14 miles away but there was a church that was under a mile directly from her house and it was pastor rick it was a good friend of mine I said, can I call Pastor Rick? Can he follow up and talk to you and invite you to church? He said, yes. Pastor Rick went to her house. He shared the gospel with Mary. He asked her to repent also. It got to be November, and, and Mike is just spiraling out of control. With all the things going on in his life, he was, he was acting out physically. So we decided as a case conference, and Mom agreed that we needed to put him on a reduced day. And so at the case conference on a Tuesday, Mom agreed that the special ed bus was going to pick him up a little bit later, take him home a little bit earlier. And it got to Friday. I called Mary. I said, hey, Mary, I got all the paperwork done. I got the bus all set up for Monday. If I come by today, you sign the paperwork. It's all set for Monday. Oh, by the way, I've got some groceries. I'll come by the house, Mr. H. Thanks. Well, Monday came. That was the only day Mike didn't make it to school that day. And if you're a public teacher, you know how it goes. You're so busy. You're just trying to get through the day. And at the end of the day, the principal called me to the office. And I just want to let you know, as a 60-year-old man getting called to the principal's office, you're scared. And so, <laughs> so I go to the principal's office, and uh, Renita's a believer, the principal. And she goes, Jim, just have a seat. I don't know how to tell you this. I've told Mike's other teachers, just sit down. Um, I'm just going to blurt it out. Mary died yesterday. CPS has already moved Mike to another county. He has no family. You're never going to see him again. Are you okay? What? She shared the same thing, and then she said again, are you okay? I literally said this to my principal. Renita, Mike was hungry. I fed him. Mike needed clothes. I clothed him. The refrigerator broke in the family's house. I got him one. I not only shared the gospel with Mary and asked her to repent, I had Pastor Rick go to the house. She shared, he shared the gospel with Mary and asked her to repent. When I stand before God on behalf of Mary, I think I'm going to be okay because I don't know what more I could have done to share Jesus with her. Oh, my. No other teachers responded that way. And I told my principal, well, when you asked me if I was okay, I just assumed you meant before God. She said, Mr. H, that's why we like having you as one of our teachers. The reason I tell you that story is this. The church in America is not okay. The church in America, two-thirds of people don't know how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. One-third of pastors don't even believe salvation in Christ and Christ alone. 
Church in America, more people pray to win the lottery than they pray for their neighbor's salvation. The church in America is not okay. We're all going to be stand before God and give account of how well we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and in deed to the people God has placed in our life. We're all going to give account. Go and tell ministry exists for one reason, to equip the church to share the gospel once again and to make disciples. Are you okay? Because <laughs> one thing I've realized in Philemon, verse 6, it says this, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you have a full understanding of every good thing in Christ Jesus. There's nothing better than sharing Jesus with others and seeing God use you. And that is a great commission which the church has forgotten, which they don't even recognize. You know, I, I started the sermon by asking, do you remember Jesus' last words before he was ascended? And we looked at Jesus' last words according to the Gospel of John. Let me ask you another Jesus' last words. You didn't know it was going to be Bible trivia, did you? Do you remember Jesus' last words in the book of Revelation? Last chapter in the Bible? It's in bold. He said this, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I'll give it to everyone according to what he has done. And he says, Yes, I'm coming soon. So I don't know when my last breath is going to be. I don't know when I'm going to die. I wish my last words would be something profound. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. But I'll tell you what I want to hear the first words when I get to heaven. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. How do we please the Lord? It's simple. Jesus said it very simply. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And you love your neighbor as yourself by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and deed. Church, we are called to go tell and fulfill the Great Commission.